It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk cheese. Recorded live. Okay, Joy, you on the phone? Hey. Yeah, so it's Amy's on the phone, Benita's on the phone. Joy? Joy, I think she she's doing some crazy thing. She's at, um... Uh, I thought you um, said Joy was coming to your house. Yeah, she's supposed to be coming to my house, but she's been at Portillo's for like the past four or five hours. Okay. I don't know what that means. All right, well, um, that's a, a a place we can eat. But we already started recording. Ruthann is supposed to be coming in, too. And I'm like, Ruthann. Where, where is she at now? Oh, she said she was going to call in at 9 o'clock. She, uh, she sent me a text. So now I just got to... Uh, Oh, I already started the um. I already started the call. I mean, started the recording part because I got to make a run at the same time. Um, multitasking. What I wanted to do today is to talk about introduction, right? Like just kind of introducing this whole concept of the sisterly thing. Can you um? Will you do me a favor? Click over and see who. Click over and see what's going on. Well, you can't call Ruth and she on grade form. I'm gonna click over and text her. I guess. Uh, okay, it's nine o'clock Central Time, people. <laughs> I'll be right back. Okay. Okay, just in rare, rare um, fashion of the Whitfield girls not to be on time, huh?
Amy, can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay. Look. So Ruth Ann, she says not letting her cough in, and um, Joy is saying the same thing. I wonder if once you start to call, that's it. Whoever is not on it is not on it. But that doesn't make any sense, you know. Did you start the call before I got on? I thought I did around the same time that you got on it. Well, you want me to hang up and we start over or what? If we start over thing, then um, um, what's the uh, at the okay. beginning when it says enter your pin, are they hitting one pound? They might not be listening to the. Okay, there's somebody. Who's that? That's just mom. I I was just <laughs> going to listen to see what you all are saying. Hi, mom. Oh. Okay. Hi. We we still trying. So you see, if 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 Helen was able to get in. <laughs> I'm guessing that they're not listening to the thing. And when it says put in your PIN code, they're like, we don't have a PIN code. You have reached the voicemail box of 771. Then pound. Yeah, you see, that's confusing because I almost hung up when I thought I don't have a Yeah, me too. When I first started doing A code, but I remember once before you told me several weeks ago, that I was supposed to put in one, one pound. then pound, right, uh-huh. at the end. So first you put in a number, then you put in the call ID, and then you put in one and then pound. Yeah, and the lady directs you to do that if you just give it a second. Joy's at work. Anita said Joy wasn't at work. <laughs> But he oh, said no. she was at Piccadillo's or something. Oh, that's right. She went to that training. So that might be still going on. Hello. 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 Hi, is that Amy? Uh, it's Amy and Mom. Hi, where's Anita? Did she leave? She was trying to help you guys out, so I don't know. I don't know if she um, clicked over to call you or something. I don't know. Hello. Hello. Oh, hold on. It sounds like we're all here now, finally. Well, I'm not supposed to be here, so I'm just gonna mute and listen. Is that possible? Yeah. Okay, I'm here. Hi, can you guys okay, hear me? Go ahead. Okay, finally, we have all four ladies here, right? And a mom. Yes. And the um, call recorded and it started like a long time ago. Man, if I had some good editing software, then I could, or if I knew what to edit or how I could edit or if this thing would even let me edit, then I would cut out the last <laughs> 15 minutes. Oh shoot, nineteen, whatever this thing is. Um, so you could have nine, nine, nine minutes and forty-two seconds. But anyway, 
<laughs> but it's not. I mean, there should be no surprise that the Whitfield girls are late for their own radio talk show. Okay, anyway, so this is an introduction to the Whitfield girls. Welcome to who we are and why we are and how important it is that we um, alert the world to us. Joy came up with the concept. I fully agreed, and then I begged Amy and Ruthanne to join in. So I appreciate you all for joining in. Is everybody online? One, two, three, four, all on deck? Yes, I'm here. Okay, Joy's here. Amy? Yeah. Roll call? <laughs> Ruthanne? Yes. Okay, all right, cool. So um, I'm going to let you guys each introduce yourselves. I'm the eldest, Benita Whitfield, Benita Annette Whitfield. And um, I think I'm the prettiest. <laughs> and no laughter? Okay, so everybody agrees. And um, Amy's probably the most intelligent, probably the, the most brilliant out of all of us. And Joy is the most enthusiastic. And um, Ruthann is the most disciplined. And I am uh, I'm teasing about the being the most pretty because we're all beautiful. But I am also probably the, uh, I call myself maybe the down-to-earth one, laid-back one, maybe even the most radical. Okay. So um, moving on. Amy? Yes. Go ahead. Introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Amy. <laughs> the brilliant one speaks. She <laughs> uh, says one word. She's Amy. Nothing else you want to say about yourself, Amy? Um, no, I'm good, thank you. Okay, Joy. Something's wrong with Joy. Joy sent no, me a text. Okay, go I'm ahead, Joy. I'm trying to charge up my phone so that I um, don't lose you all. Hi, I'm Joy. Oh. I like to talk. I'm a conversationalist, and uh, I think it would be a great idea if we record some memories of ourselves and maybe see if we could do something as a group. Um, and I don't know how to get introduction of myself. I'm, you know, I'm Joy. I'm the middle child. And uh, I guess that's what it is. I'm following Amy's lead. Hello, can you also hear me? Yeah. Okay, knee baby. Yeah. All right, knee baby. We're gonna go next to Ruth Ann. Hi, I'm Ruth Ann. Oh, that's it. That's all you want to say. Okay. All right. So the characters have been introduced. So first question: Why is this so important, or interesting, or fun, or any of that? Like, why would the world want to hear our story? Amy. Oh, geez, I don't know that the world does want to hear our story. <laughs> Y'all are so silly. Um, why is it important? Um, I think it's important for us to tell our story. I think uh, family, uh, family knowledge, family history is important to speak and keep. 
Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Hmm, I like that. Whether they want to hear it or not, it's important for us to tell it. Joy? Joy's um, unavailable. Ruthann? Do you agree with Amy? Important to tell the story? Any oh, other reasons? One moment, please. Okay. Joy, Joy's having some technical difficulties. Uh, while Joy's having some technical I can't even say the word anymore, technical difficulties. Ruthann, do you have anything you want to add to that part? I do not. Okay, is there, can I go with my turn? Sorry, I was kind of... Um, yeah, go ahead. Had an interruption. Um, so I I agree with uh, what Amy said. I believe that it's very important for us to share our story, and I think even if we share our story and record it, I think that would be fantastic. I think, you know, and I'm not really sure what happened on the day that I said, hey, Bonita, we should do a show. We should talk about us. But I think that um, as a family, it's important to record family history. Yes. Very lightly dipped. Yes. I don't want it to go soggy. I just don't want the bread hard. Oh, you take my money? I don't have, I have a card. I don't have any cash. I don't have any cash. Yes. You want to take it? Okay. Um, Joy, we can come back to you if you need. Okay. Yeah, yeah, come back to me. Okay. So, um, of course, I agree with my sisters. I think we, in addition to telling the story, I, I feel like our, our, of course, our story is unique because everybody, you know, nobody is the same. Everybody's different, so there's a lot of uniqueness out there. But I think one of our differences is. <clears throat> But it's more than unique. It's um, please, so I'm back. I heard it's more than unique. It's something else. Hello. Hello. I think I'm the only one here. What? Where's Benita? She cut off in the middle of a sentence. Mm, I don't know, but maybe before we do this, we should uh, figure out these technical difficulties. Benita, do you know that you're going in and out? We can't really hear you. You hear me now? 
Yeah, that's better. Okay. Yeah, you know what happened? I had this um speaker thing, like, and so I had went into the speaker. Okay. So I think I kind of talked too much. Maybe let's come up with some other questions. So the next format, this is really just an introduction. We're gonna have we're gonna have it more together the next time. So what are some things that we want to talk about on the subsequent shows? Well, I think that I can um, share some ideas on that. When Joy first shared about this idea that she had and this concept, she had a long list of different ideas about um, certain shows. And so from that, from those suggestions, I kind of thought that she really wanted us to focus on where our unique background comes from and why that might may be important to share. So so I'm going to try to share what might be good to talk about later, but also to talk about why it may be important, not just for us to tell it, but for other people to hear it maybe. And I think one of the major unique things about us is that we come from a black background growing up in rural white America. And not only that, but we also come from parents who got married in the 1960s during the civil rights era, and they are still married, and yet they're an interracial couple. And so our mother is black, our father is white. They got married in 1968 and in Chicago in the heat of civil rights, and they're still married. Um, and, you know, their marriage is still going strong. And, and, and from leaving Chicago, they raised us in a number of different states in rural white America. So one of the things I think that may be something that we should talk about, and may not be the only thing that we talk about, but a good thing for us to share is maybe what it's like growing up being one of the only minority families. Sometimes it was the one family or one of three families, one of the only minority families in those communities, um, which can be something that uh, maybe other minority people in those communities can really relate to because I know I've had experiences of growing up and not even knowing it, like not even knowing that I'm actually being helpful to somebody around me. You know, there was a girl who sent me a Facebook message. It was like almost 15, 20 years later, and she was thanking me for telling her uh, to, you know, really stand up and be proud of where she comes from. And I had no idea that I had that effect on her until later. So that may be, I think, just in and of itself, one of those things. Um, also the fact that, you know, we come from a father who is a pastor and a mother who is a social worker, and all of us ended up going into either directly fields of caring of, of underserved peoples, of, of social justice, of caring about, you know, the people who get trotted uh, on and walked over. And it's something that just kind of naturally even if we tried to fight it, no matter what profession we go into, it's always going to, you know, see us. And we don't try to fight it. It's something that we care about. So that's another thing I think that is unique about us. could be another topic that we talk about. Um, and so I'm just going to put those two out there. I mean, I think that there are other uh, pieces of the puzzle that may make us a little uh, unique, but... I think that those may be some really important things that if we are going to share a story, we can't really share a story without talking about the racial component, without talking about 
the the passion for um, social awareness, and we can't really, you know, have a story without discussing um, those, like, those kinds of things. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You're absolutely right. And you were able to mention some things that I had on my heart that I wanted to say that I neglected to say just now. The inter- so when you say the racial component, you're not only mentioning the interracial parents, but the fact that we're white, I mean the fact that we're black growing up in a... Like one, one of the things I definitely want to talk about is the fact that our parents raised us to be black. You know, they they weren't like, oh, you're mixed or don't neglect your father. Mm -mm. It was straight up, no, you're black. Don't ever forget it. And I think that story right there is also very unique because a lot of interracial couples will raise their children to be mixed, leading them to be confused. Can you guys hear me? I am unmuted, right? Yeah, I hear you. Okay, all right. So I got, I'm taking notes. I got the um, racial component, the interracial parents, the black and the white world. Oh, we could also talk about um, living around Native Americans, like growing up within those pine, uh, the reservations. I don't know if that's, if we know enough about that to want to share. I think it's very interesting how we all grew up with um, one of the the same parents, um, the same home, same mom, same dad, same house, but yet we are so much alike, but yet we are so very different as well. Um, And I think it's interesting and maybe how, as we were growing up, the parents that we saw, the environment that we had, or the experiences that we had, even though we're all blood sisters, may be a little bit different for one versus the other that may have shaped, really, you know, how we have turned out in adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, another thing that, you know, once I had said this something, I don't know, I think I was talking to Benita and I said something about, oh, mom did da 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 and she's like, no, she didn't. That's not who she was or she didn't get to do that. I was like, what, what do you mean? Mom was never like that with me. They never yelled at each other or something like that. And you said, Joy, the mom and dad that you had is very different than the mom and dad that I had, meaning that Helen and Ben were in different ages and stages of their life by the time Joy came in. They were in a very different age and stage in their life by the time, you know, Ruth Ann came along. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the bond that we had with, our parents and the bond that we have with our siblings are very different from one sister to the other. And I think that's really shaped who we are as individuals in in an adult life and beyond, you know, after, after, after we have left home, you know, like for example, like me being, me still seeing, you know, mom on on a regular basis for a large, you know, part of the time has me in a position where I'm hearing, prayer all the time, you know, I'm hearing evangelists and, and I, I still, she's still a very, very heavy influence on me, mm-hmm. right? So I think about that. I think another thing I might, you know, want to talk about is um, just relationships. Um, 
there, you know, we're we're all kind of older, and I think we how how we how we date, how we form relationships with 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 other people, how we've come to, you know, with the exception of Benita. I guess you know I I don't know what I'm trying to say. Just how we. Well, the fact that but neither we're, 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 we're older, and I mean that could be that could be relationships, friendships, that could be relationships, romantic relationships. How do we connect with? Like, if you want to talk about friendships, what are friendships and relationships with among other black women? You know, I think you know Amy has had. Thank you. That's your food, Benita. I'm in route. <laughs> Thank you, Joy. That's what I was that's, doing that's earlier. I, was like, I, don't, I don't have any cash. I was trying to order your food earlier, so that's what you guys heard me talking to the lady, and they just delivered it. So I'm trying to find my way back to your house. But yeah. um, so, uh, I think relationships with other people. Relationships, you know, we can talk about relationships with friends and how we connect with uh, other women, how we connect with other black women versus how we connect with other white women. I don't have, I think some of my closest, closest friends are black women. And I knew Amy can kind of speak to herself, but I think that most of Amy's very close friends are not black women. It could be the place where Amy lives. Yeah, but I, could, I lived in Las Cruces, New Mexico for several years, for four or five years. And the friendships that I made were with single black moms, you know. So, you know, how maybe how circumstance faces the relationships. And I guess what I, my idea sometimes is about the show is just kind of even maybe a, a view or, you know, how they have the view and everybody has a different viewpoint. But what's the perspective? I don't think we're introducing anything that's so new or foreign to other talk shows or other people, but we're using our perspective to share how we feel about some of these different things and how it's changed or shaped us. So, you know, relationships, how we connect with other people. And then maybe, you know, you know romantic relationships. I think it's very interesting that I think, you know, for the most part we're finding people very late in our, in, you know, in their lives. I'm, you know, Amy and I, we really haven't, you know, connected and found permanent people. Yet and very smart, educated, beautiful, talented young ladies across the board. Mom had said, you know, that once someone had described us as being stars. And why is it that when you have the package that's all together, there is, you know, we're not making those. I just, it's hard, you know, or think about how Amy says she wants to find somebody who's like dad, but she says there's nobody really out there like dad. So since we have such an excellent father that she feels like the bar has been set really high when it comes to finding a mate, and she hasn't been able to find that. I think something else I want to talk about is how growing up, and Ruth Ann touched on it a little bit before, how growing up in that small rural white community as black children, has affected us as adults, right? So I remember I was talking to Amy one time, and I was struggling with just jobs, you know, finding a job and moving forward and being 
successful at career-wise and as a professional and just the struggles and how it's very difficult to relate to other white Americans in small white American towns. And people might look at you and say, well, you're, you're, you know, you're a multiracial person or you're a biracial person. Your father is white. Why is it difficult for you to have those relationships with white folks? where we were very supported and loved and encouraged and had very limitless opportunities, I think, growing up as young people from kindergarten through the 12th grade, it wasn't until we stepped out of that mold into other environments, other towns, other cities, where we were no longer looked at as these wonderful, beautiful girls that could accomplish everything and conquer the world, then people started to look at you as a black woman and put the limitations on you that society places on black women. So it's very difficult because you're pressing through life and you're thinking, I'm the greatest. I'm joy. Don't you know who I am? You know, I can do this and this and this. I've had this and this and this success. But yet we're stifled in other environments. And I wish I could remember how Amy explained it one time, but she was very much more clear, you know, and concise and expressing it than, you know, that I am. And it, and it really has, they don't expect, I think, us to be doing the things that we do. And that be, that becomes very difficult. That becomes a challenge when you're trying to, to, to rise, and it's a challenge because you're trying to rise because as young adults, not, not as young adults, as children, I don't think I felt racism. As a child, I didn't feel um, the sting. I didn't feel, you know, for lack of a better word, we knew we were black, but we didn't have the kind of experiences of someone who might be growing up in Southside Chicago. Like the kids who grew up in South Side of Chicago who are black, they know that they are black, right? And they still may be loved and appreciated and, and, and put forth and very successful, but they've kind of learned what society sees of them and how to maneuver through that. And I didn't really see that or feel that sting until I became a working professional. Yeah, see, I, I felt it as soon as we moved to South Dakota and – but it was in a different way. It was no. Nah, it was um, you know, any meeny miny mo catch a nigger by his toe. And mom was right there to say, "Oh no, we don't use that word. We say tiger." So I mean, it, and that and that's that and that's part of the the fact the stories that I was telling is how like how that that goes back to how I say you know you're you're even though we grew up in the same household and had the same parents your life is different than my life in some aspects because of you know me being a little bit older and seeing things that you know you guys may not have been privy to but it might it may be part of the reason why it's much more radical so go ahead uh, Amy Well but in the word of those things Mr. Diamond there are things that we see growing up where people might be like oh your hair is different or this and this and this a lot of ignorant things, but it still wasn't to the point where my teacher said, I'm not going to call on Joy because she's black. Or like, you know? or like for instance, uh, wasn't it your class where the lady was like, no, they Africa made AIDS or they, they got the AIDS from Africa. Something, it was just this, like this really rude comment that one of your teachers made. You were real young at the time, and I remember mom and dad had to go and battle right, that. I really remember it, and then mom would go up and talk. And I also had 
kids in school who would call me names like, oh, look at the Negro or look at the black Kinkwee. Twinkie or look at the Oreo and, and Ruthanna has had experiences where people have called her, you know, names, very vulgar names at school. But at the same time that this teacher was saying, oh, monkeys came, brought AIDS from Africa or whatever, there was another teacher who was saying, Joy, I know you've got a great voice, so you're going to be the star of the play. You know, those, I guess what I'm saying is those opportunities were, were given and no one, I don't, I don't feel like my teachers were looking at me like a black girl, but I feel like when I got into the world, they were looking at me as a black woman. And right in March, South Dakota, we were Helen and Ben's daughter. They got an opportunity to know us and understand us for our character and who we were. That could be so the even though we were biracial kids and we had a black mom, they still looked at us as kids. And the biggest difference as far as, you know, racism or injustice or... Um, discrimination really came a lot more from not being a local. So, like, when you were in Martin, South Dakota, you came in as a third grader. But when I came into Martin, South Dakota, I was four or five. So I got to start out being part of the crew, just how, like, Mike and Deshaun have in Indiana. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Okay, anyway. you, you, you're helping me, uh, Joy, put together a very comprehensive list. Um, Ruth Ann has added to the list. Amy, you want to add anything to the list? Um, those things sound very talk showy to me. Uh, I appreciate the vibe that you guys are going for there, but... I don't know. I guess I just thought we were going to talk about us. Did you say that sounds very talk showy, Benita? Um, No, no, Amy, Amy, what did you say? You said those sound very talk showy? Talk showy, right? Like you guys want to do a talk show, like an Oprah episode or something? Well, it doesn't even have to be a book. I think another thing, too, would be nice to record that history to write it to write it down, uh, you know, to have an oral history or an oral account of ourselves. I think so, uh, I really would like to do that with mom and dad. But, you know, I, mean, I, know I don't, I don't want it to be talk showy or I don't want it to be like no Oprah thing either, but um, it's kind of hard when one person, like we can't see each other, right? So we don't, we're not able to use nonverbal communication. So I don't know when somebody else is trying to jump in. I think maybe you can go onto this website and you could, you know, type a little note in or something and say, hey, I want to talk? No, I'm not, like, it's not the format. I'm, you know, I guess I thought that we were going to just really talk about the history of us and share stories and reminisce and... Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's exactly what we're going to do. And so right now we were just kind of comprising a list of, uh, what are some of the things like, like for instance, let's just say we took um, took the the concept of racism, for example. Then we could swap stories or reminisce and do all of that around, you know, racism. But you don't want to do that. Like you don't want to pick one specific area to talk about. Like you just want to each week get on the call and talk about whatever. Mm, I don't care. I'll do whatever you guys want. I just. 
I mean, but do you every think time it, I come out in our conversations of just sharing stories. Well, like, for instance, just one story. Do you guys remember how I was going to go into Mom and Dad's room, but the door was locked? <laughs> and, <laughs> and well, I don't remember. Like, I remember the story. <laughs> you don't remember? Oh, Ruth, I remember. I wasn't, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> I was born. That's probably the day you was conceived, too. But <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe how stupid I was, though. <laughs> like, why in the world did Amy and Joy know more than me? It seems like you guys were always knowing more than me, you know? <laughs> like, I was just starting to get older and move around and leave the house and do different things. Amy and Joy, y'all know the story I'm talking about? I know exactly what story you're talking about, but um, I believe that Ruth Ann was already born. She was just little. Yeah, maybe one. Yeah. See, I thought I actually I was thinking I was younger than twelve. I thought I was maybe about ten. I felt like y'all was way like just way too young to even know. And then Joy was like, and then and then Joy would not let it go. She kept coming up to me, just giving me all kinds of examples. No, Benita. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm going to show you where they keep it. It's right here. She went to their bedroom where she showed me everything. Well, maybe for, uh, if anyone you going to listen to this, maybe you should actually explain a little better about what the don't do this meant. She's okay. What it meant. <laughs> well, mom and dad always had an open door policy. You could always go into their room, always. The door was wide open. You're welcome to come in. But each and every house we lived in, Dad made sure to put a lock on the door, on his door, like um, their door, I should say. <clears throat> and um, and I never, ever noticed the door to be locked. Like even in the middle of the night, you know, if we were all sleeping or whatever, you know, they would have the door cracked or whatever. You could just go inside. So this one time, it was like the middle of the day and the door was locked. And I went to door to open the door and Amy and George were sitting in the living room, I don't know, doing whatever. And so I went to the door to turn the knob, and then they came rushing over to me to try and stop me. No, Benita, you don't. The door is locked. You can't go in when the door is locked. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know anything about a locked door. I don't remember that story. Oh, you at don't all. remember that? Oh man, y'all, Joy, you the one. You were the main one. You were like, <laughs> yes. And then and then I and then you guys were sitting there explaining to me, well, Benita, the lock. When the door is locked, that means they're doing it. And you just like <laughs> whispering and stuff like, Shh, be quiet, leave them alone, give them this space, you know, that kind of thing. So, okay, I, I moved around. And and then later on when the door was open, because you, I, I, cause I had the attitude of, whatever, they don't have sex. They've had sex four times. We got, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just the four of us. Because mom and dad were really, really good about and, you know, the public displays of affection, it was real simple. It might have been a kiss or it may have been a hug or something, but it was never really not too much more than that, like it, or maybe rubbing of the back or something. And um, so then uh, when the door was open, ah, look, I'm telling you, they do do it. I was like, no, they don't. Yes, they do. They do. They got condoms and everything. And I was like, no, they don't. So Joy was like, Benita, one day. And when the door was open, she's like, Benita, come here. Come on, come on, come on. I got to show you something. I was like, what? What you got to show me? She goes over to the side of the bed, and she, like, moves a little thing to the side, and she shows me the little condoms. And she's like, see, I told you. Like, she just had to tell me that. Like, I need to make sure that you know this. You know, we got plenty of stories like that. But I remember that very differently. I remember opening (laughs) up the box, showing you the box, 
and opening up one and being like, Benita, what is this? I remember not knowing or understanding what the condom was and asking you, what is this? Really? Man, I thought you were teaching me something. And I remember I opened it and I, because I, 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 un, I undid one and I put it in my finger and I pulled it up and he's like, George, throw those away. <laughs> so I don't feel like I really knew. And if I was saying stuff, it wasn't in a, it wasn't in a reaction or response of, I know they doing it. It was more just like, well, the door is locked, so maybe you shouldn't be going in there. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, just, I, I don't remember being super educated and knowing everything, <laughs> like you say, and showing you where the condoms were and giving you advice and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, I don't remember it that way. <laughs> Give me advice. <laughs> I would like some advice, though, on how to get home. Oh, take the, um, what street are you on right now? 90 says, oh, this is the the blockage. Just take that uh, all the way. You can take you can take ninety uh, fifth all the way to King Drive, or you can take it all the way to State, or you can take it. It did just come up to eighty third. Oh yeah, okay. This is what I see now. There's a little detour. There is a detour. Yeah, just okay. make sure that you're coming east. That's all. And you'll start to see other things, like you'll see Halstead, all that. But you don't 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 be saying my address on the air because we might want to share it with somebody. No, no. Hey, what's this? Is this a grocery store of Mariano's? All <laughs> far west. Yeah, that's a grocery store. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's exactly how I remember that story. I remember you guys, Amy and Joy, being the all knowing, and Benita being ignorant as crazy and just super ignorant about the issue. And then you guys telling me, and then you're, and then I not believing it. And then you saying, yes, for real, like, I got to show you something. Like, look, check this out. So. I feel like, I feel like that's also something that um, I think the age dynamic is very interesting because, like, for example, this story that you guys are telling right now, there's tons of stories. I feel like most of my childhood that, I most of my knowing you guys when I was growing up was stories. I was hearing stories about like you three, you know, and so, you know, I'm the youngest and so I'm eight years behind Joy, ten years behind Amy, twelve years behind Benita. Um, seven, seven. And so <laughs> seven oh, and a man. half. Seven. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's right. eight, it's seven. <laughs> it's seven. Well, well. <laughs> So what is that, seven, nine, and uh, 11 and a half? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> My whole life I've been saying eight, ten, twelve. Maybe it was just easier. I don't know. <laughs> but, well, I mean, I, I'll accept the 12. Yeah. I mean, it's like a day. It's like a month. It's like a – literally, it's like two days well, before yeah. my 12th birthday, so. So I I guess I was saying that to say that to, to say that, that I think that there's a lot of stories like that that I really only know stories of, whereas you three actually experienced all of this. And also, in addition to that, by the time I was five, Benita was gone off to college. By the time I was, you know, around seven or eight, Amy had gone off to college. And by the time I was 12, Joy had gone off. And so, I don't know, I think there was a big portion of my life, I almost felt like you guys were more like aunties than you were sisters, because you were just so much older. And then, you know, so I kind of feel like, yes, I'm one of four daughters, but, but, you know, I almost felt like a good portion of my, my childhood, I also felt like an only child at times, because when I was 12, I was, I was the only one at home after that, and so that is, um, I think, an interesting component, what you're talking about age, and also I think maybe moving is an interesting component, 
because even though I was, you know, ended up probably, probably moving into one more state than you all, but, you know, all of us, we were moved, you know, and I think, you know, unless you're in the military or something like that, that's not like the average American's uh, experience is not getting up and moving Mm-hmm. all the time like most well particularly maybe out maybe more towards the east but i think particularly out towards the west like when you're in the midwest and towards the west most people they grow up in their hometown and they stay there and a lot of people they end up living in the exact same house they've always lived in and they go to the uh college in state or within you know a two-state radius next to them and with us you know we've we've lived in four to six different states we all went to colleges in different states. We live in different parts of the country, you know. So, um, I don't know. And I, I feel like, I guess I think that's important to share because I know that you guys must have stories about it too. I know Benita does. Um, and I'm sure Joy and Amy does as well. But the person I became, I think, really got shaped in, in large part because we did move so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, because I at such a young age, had to learn how to say goodbye a lot. I, I, you know, I think that that made me more comfortable with saying goodbye or not, you know, less comfortable with feeling the need to build really strong relationships um, by being like, okay, well, you're going to be there forever because I had to say goodbye so much and I had to move around so much. And, and also being more comfortable walking up to people, you know, like doing something like, selling Girl Scout cookies or um, going up and meeting somebody and just starting to talk to them. Well, when you move so much, I mean, not to say that you have to move to have that skill, but it's one of the things you pick up really quickly as a young child because you've traveled so much and you've moved around so much that you kind of have to just develop certain skills because you are not, you're not the, the surprise person in that small town anymore because you came in late, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like when I came in to Reserve New Mexico, for example, you know, I wasn't the person who was there in kindergarten. I wasn't the person who was growing up and I didn't, I wasn't a pedigree family there. And so there was a lot of animosity towards me because here I was, somebody coming in from outside the community and yet I still was on the basketball team and I still was um, a starter on a lot of, uh, team, you know, volleyball and basketball and, uh, you know, and I, and so and there was a lot of animosity towards me, and then there was a lot, of, I think, frustration amongst the whole pedigree township, I, you know, idealism or whatever they called it. It was kind of like, the, you know, there was kind of some anger. And, and I don't know a lot of those stories from you guys because I wasn't there. I'm so much younger. But I'm pretty sure you must have similar stories like that from South Dakota or, you know, Benita, I know you had a story of, well, you were being ripped from, your senior year from Martin, you know, and you ended up going to Wall Hall and you, you had to move your senior year. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I agree with everything. Did we lose Joy? Yeah, she, she's going through the mix. So um, I totally like the idea of telling a bunch of different stories. I think it might just be to kind of help focus us more. Like what we could do is each time we have one of these um, episodes or each time we have one of these shows, if we pick one particular topic and we could tell as many stories as just come to mind and we could just banter the stories back and back and back 
back and forth and back and forth like ping pong or whatever, however we want to do it. But it'd be on one specific topic because then what we could do is we could take each one of these episodes and make it a different chapter. You know, like we could have the chapter on mom or a chapter on dad or a chapter on racism or a chapter on what it's like having different parents even though they're the real same parents and so on, you know. Or we could have a chapter on the age dynamic or the personalities or whatever. So I think we're going to encompass both of them, Amy. Is there any, like, if if we were going to have different chapters, Amy, what chapter do you want to make sure we include? Mm, I don't think it matters. Whatever you guys said is fine. Are you depressed? <laughs> Benita. No. I mean, you know how it is in our family. We're the raw, uncut. We don't sugarcoat anything. We approach all kinds of situations logically. That That's what we need to talk about. Amy said that to me one time. She said, we, we, we accept emotion in our family, but we process it logically. Like we have family meetings, right? Well, you know, now that you said that, I think that I thought it was totally like a cool, amazing normal thing that our family did, but apparently I've had some people tell me that that's kind of weird how, you know how, say something exciting happens for me, right? I'm like, oh, hey, I got a, I got into this program, for example, right? And so I send an email to everybody or say somebody has uh, a question or an issue and then they send it to the whole family, like they send it to mom, dad, Benita, Amy, Joy, Mike and Desha- now Mike and Deshaun and Rajanae, they're on the email list, you know, and like there's this big thing going back and forth. It's, and somebody was like, whoa, that's a little bit too much, you know, and uh, like that's just a little too connected, you know, and then, but at the same time, you know, I look at their families and in some ways, I feel like, well, what do you mean? Like, your family's much closer than my family is because, you know, they just do things very differently, you know, and they think that, that what we're doing is really weird, but I don't know. I thought, I kind of think that that's a cool thing that we have, but at the same time, like, I, I'm not on the phone with you guys all the time, you know what I, I mean? I was to add that, Ruth Ann. We don't, we don't, we don't talk we every don't, day. We, I mean, we don't even talk like once every two months. Like, I think if we start doing this, I know you all, the older crew, I know you all talk a lot more than I do, but with you all, but, you know, we don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the whole email thing is like, you know, that's kind of my connection to a lot of you guys and what's going on. So I think it's kind of interesting how someone was like, oh, that's a little too much. But I'm like, actually, we don't really talk that much. So hmm Yeah. And it's not, that only, that doesn't only affect how I am within the family. It affects how I am as a person, period. Like my really, really good friends are those who don't mind not talking to me every day. Like I, you know, for people who, people who say, oh, how come you don't call me? Or why didn't you answer your phone? Or, right. you know, those, those those real needy friends have a tendency to be the ones that, I end up, you know, maybe being friends with them for six months or whatever, and I'll talk with them every day. But then eventually, I, you know, I, I slip back into the real true Bonita, and the real true Bonita doesn't talk to anybody every day unless there's something significant being built. You know, you're yeah, like or, your husband. Or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that does it. Just that just it's just 
so I have these one, these two girlfriends, and I keep telling them all the time, I appreciate y'all so much. And a huge reason why I appreciate them so much is because we have been friends for almost all the whole entire time I've worked at, um, had this career that I've had. And uh, they, so this is like, like 15 years, if not more, that we have been friends. And throughout this whole entire friendship, I've never once heard them never, ever say to me something like, how come you ain't call me? Or <laughs> I, I haven't talked to you in a long time. It's usually like this, hey, girl, how you been? I haven't talked to you in a while. You know, how you doing? Or something like that. It's always enthusiastic to get in touch with me, even though you know, the same way it is when I talk to Ruth Ann. I haven't talked to her, like she said, two, three months, four months, six months, whatever. But we're still just happy to talk to each other when we get to talk to each other. Or mom, I remember mom, like once I said, mom, I know I don't call that much. She's like, I mean, girl, you took this grown and gone. Too <laughs> That's their fault. They raised us that way. They say, well, yeah. you have to be grown and gone. <laughs> like every day, mom, can I do this when you grown and gone? Mom, can I do this when you grown and gone? Okay, all right, I got you. <laughs> the main objective is to be grown and gone, but definitely. Well, and even when we were younger, like, you guys remember when I would go to those summer programs out in Massachusetts, you know, when I was still in high school, mm-hmm. and mom, she would, she, you know, would call me messages and things like that. She's like, well, you haven't called in a really long time, you know, and <laughs> I, like, I just, from such a young age, I think the only time I really felt like conflicted about wanting to come home or, oh, I need to call and go home was that time when I was in Norway and I kind of felt like, you know, I didn't really want to go home, but then, they, you know, I hadn't talked to anybody in my family for three months because I didn't have the money to call home and I didn't, you know, there were just so many reasons for that. And then I was in this mindset of, well, I guess I'm just going to have to stay here because I don't have the money to go home. But then I think Aunt Morabel gave, mom and dad's money and said, you know, she can come home. And then I remember being on the phone trying to be all, you know, big and bad on the phone and like, no, 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 it's okay. I can stay here. And then I just started bawling on the phone and I was crying because like, no, actually I really want to come home for Christmas. And then, you know, so I came home that first Christmas and then the second Christmas, I never came home because (laughs) I was like, okay, well, I had the Christmas experience. Let me go to Lebanon now. And mom, because I didn't call home and talk to her that much, mom said, uh, I sent her an email, and I said, well, Mom, I sent you an email a while back, and uh, <laughs> I told you all that um, I'm going to go to Lebanon instead of Israel in Europe. And then I get this email from Mom, and she says, what? Nobody gave you permission to go to Lebanon? <laughs> She's like, what? what? I was like, Mom, I already used the money. I bought the ticket. That's the only money that I have. <laughs> she said, She's like, well, well, praise God, hallelujah. I hope you know, you have a good trip. And, you know, and then, like, again, like, that's, that's full circle, bringing back to the main point of why I brought up the story was, you know, and then I get to Lebanon. And before I even land in Lebanon, she's called what was going to be uh, Lucas's mom, what what was going to be uh, my host mother for the while, while I was out there. She had already called this woman, like, three or four times. I mean, I don't know. Like, but the only like, the the weird thing about that, Ruth Ann, though, was because we looked Lebanon up on the world map. <laughs> and we said, what? what? It's Iran, Iraq. It's like Iraq, Iran, Lebanon. Okay, hold on. She's <laughs> just, like, going into dangerous territory. And that's oh, the only reason why we were feeling that way. It wasn't like, it, it, I mean, I don't know. Maybe if you was going to... Like Ohio or something like that, it would have been different. But, but it was, and then and then you 
was in there chilling. You was like, oh, I'm eating all the vegetables. And, and, <laughs> I was. Like, whenever we talk to you, it's just like, whatever. It's just ain't nothing wrong with this place. It's, it's more calm here than it's anywhere. And so we had this whole different perspective. We was thinking it was like war-torn, you know, scary. Like he was going to have to be dodging from one rock to the next. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, and they're just chilling with the vegetables. <laughs> right, right, right. Carrying vegetables. Like, like you, whatever. You had like a stalk of celery in your hand, but you running from one rock to the next rock. You know what I'm saying? The pile of rocks here. Okay, I could, be, I could hide behind the bullets on this rock. You know, we was really scared for you. We were. And so that was all that was. But but if it wasn't that, if we weren't scared for you, like I remember when you were 16 and when you went to um, London. Yeah. And and you were supposed to go with homegirl, and then she was like, oh, no, I don't want to go. Ruth. Oh, yeah. Like, no, and I'm still going peace by holla. <laughs> well, actually, like, I think- my little sister going out of the country all by herself before she's even 18, just chilling and, and, and all by herself, just chilling. Well, I think I actually have Amy to thank for that because so what happened was like so nine eleven happens, right? And mm-hmm. like right after so the I think in March, right? If I remember correctly, I think in March George Bush had declared his little well, uh we're gonna go do this preemptive strike. But in May or June or whatever the date was, I was planning I was supposed to be going to London, right? And so the person I was supposed to be going with, she, you know, was a friend of mom. She was older, fifty you know, fifty year old. Uh, and I think she was in her 50s at that time. And she said, well, I don't want to go because Tony Blair, now he's in support of Bush. And I don't think it's a good time for Americans to be leaving the country and going over there. And I'm like, honey, I, I don't understand. I really, I still really want to go. But I was, you know, a minor still at that time. I was 16. And I remember having a conversation with Amy about it. And I was like, yeah, mom and dad, they'll never let me go by myself. And then Amy said, why don't you ask? <laughs> I was like, what? You think, I, you think they'll actually listen to that? So I actually tried it out, and I talked to them, and, you know, I guess they kind of felt, I don't know if they felt bad for me, or they were trying to really let this be a test, because I had just gotten into the school in Norway, and I was going to be leaving home earlier, and I was going to be out of the country for two years, and so... And then also I had worked and saved up all that money to go on this trip, and it was a a trip deal to go with British Airways. And so it was amazing because Dad, he went and talked to a lawyer, uh, the small uh, town lawyer or whatever in town, and he got him to work up some stuff, and they called British Airways, and they said, well, you know, you have to let me go do this package even though – you have still have to give me the same rate, even though this other person is deciding to pull out of the trip because it's not my fault that they're pulling out of the trip, you know. And, you know, and and then mom, she tracked down people that from a friend of a friend of a friend who lived in London, and I ended up it was great. I ended up meeting up with them and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, so <laughs> I think that that is a very kind of funny experience just in of itself of how I even got the chance to go. Um, yeah, yeah, I um, <clears throat> I remember I was married at the time, and Dante was like, I, you oh, know, yeah. I, he was always like, always knowing somebody, like right. always knowing somebody. <laughs> now, I, I, no matter where you was going, no matter who you, where you were at, I, yeah, mm-hmm, I know somebody over there. And so then, of course, he, of course, he knew somebody in London. So he was trying to hook you up and find you a friend or what? I don't even think that connection was ever made, but I remember him right. being very. And 
enthusiastic about trying to find you some help because he was just the whole concept of you yeah. going alone. But but that of course is on the strength you you doing taking that trip alone was on the strength of uh, Joy and I taking the Greyhound bus by ourselves, and I was fourteen, which means Joy was. Uh, she's five years younger than me, so I just made fourteen. So she was probably uh, was nine. She was um, probably eight because her birthday is a little bit later than mine. So she hadn't made nine yet. And mm. we took the we took the Greyhound by ourselves from North Carolina up to Chicago. So or when I was five years old, they used to put me on the airplane by myself all the time, <laughs> like almost every summer. Uh-huh. So and I think and I think that started when I was five. So there were a lot of those. Or for instance, I drove to South Dakota by myself at seventeen, and uh-huh. that was like a a big first for the family. Like out of all the kids, you know, nobody had hopped in the car. You know, one of us hadn't hopped in the car and drove someplace on our own that far away. I went with you. You weren't by yourself. I went with you. <laughs> There was, yeah, you, you, having you went with all me. the sisters on so that and make sure that everybody's telling the truth. Oh, right? oh, Amy, Amy, <laughs> Amy went with me when we went to um, Synod, right? Was that Synod, Amy? I think Amy, no, where we going? Synod, we met. Um, for Synod, we drove to Grand Forks, and then we got in the car with uh, the pastor, and I can't remember their name. But, Amy, but you and I, we drove to Sioux Falls for some reason, right? Yeah. Remember, we put a sign up in the window that said, we're going to da-da-da. If you don't know the way, you can follow us. Remember? Yes. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah. Just stupid stuff like that. But, no, there was this one time that I went by myself to the very first time. Before before that trip, though, Amy, I went by myself to, I think it was um, Mitchell, not Mitchell, uh, Pier, I think, South Dakota. For SDYC meeting, South Dakota SDP, um, South Dakota Presbyterian Youth Council. Oh man, speaking of traveling, Benita, you want to share the story about when we were to Egypt together? Mm. And <laughs> no, wait, I I've been no, I, no, I just said mm, like that. Mm, that's right. all. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big story. I was particularly thinking about how you and I were so pissed because we took this trip to go all the way to Egypt, Africa, and then we were surrounded by white people all the time in the <laughs> tour group. So yeah. Benita and, I, and then uh, Benita and I were like, man, we want to see with some black people. <laughs> and right, then, I want to see my brother. Right, and in Egypt, there's a large Arab population, too. So in a lot of the places we were going, we still – we would see some black people, but we weren't, you know, getting the chance to really hang out and meet mm-hmm. them and talk to them and be with the people. And so we were on this Nile River cruise, and we were, I believe it was Aswan, right? We were banked at, and uh, Benita, and then there was this uh, black man who was a guide specifically for one Japanese woman. And so we had met him on the ship, and, you know, Benita was working her connections, and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I could totally take you to Nubian Village. Yes, yes, no problem, no problem. <laughs> and so we, he takes us, you know, just through this amazing experience, and it was just so awesome because, and we decided never ever again when we we're going to do the tour group thing because it's just totally different experience because, the t- yeah. and you know, in the tour group they'll say, well, you can't take that ferry across the Nile because, 
that's just too, it's, you know, nobody takes that. That's, you know, it's, it's too, too dangerous. It's, it's too it's, dangerous, it's right. It's too expensive. Well, it's too whatever, <laughs> like, just trying to talk us right. out of it. You have to have a special guy that puts you in the canoe that takes you across, and he's going to charge you 80 Egyptian pounds. Right, exactly, yes. And so and then, then we... Go ahead. No, I just wanted to say this one part where the guy, the tour guide that Ruth Ann's talking about, when he does finally take us over there, we take the exact ferry boat that they told us not to take, and it's not expensive. Matter of fact, that he threw some change down to pay for all (laughs) four of us to get on this little ferry boat. And the reason why that's so significant is because when we first got there, they took us to the bank right away. When we get to the bank, they're like, we don't use change anymore. Change is non-existent here. It's not right. really. It's not really currency. <laughs> don't even bother trying to get some change. We don't use change. No, no, no. Change not for you. No change. They <laughs> <laughs> was like, all we want you to be using up in here is the the paper type money that folds. So, so when he threw what? that change down, I looked at him like, no, he didn't. Just pay for <laughs> us. On the ferry, they told us that we could not ride. But that's why the black people were getting on the ferry, right? Right, right. <laughs> they were just saying you can't come around with the black folks. It was they lied to us every step of the way. Every step of the way. Yeah. It's, I mean, that could be like a total traveling story, you know, a show in and of itself. But mm-hmm. uh, there's just so many stories just on that trip on its own. And yeah. I wrote that down, though, traveling, traveling on our own, traveling. Definitely a story, moving around like we was like the nomadic family almost. Like I remember Dad saying that once to me. He's like, we not that type of family. You know, we we don't get stuck anywhere. We go where there's a work. We go, we go where we feel we need it. It's our, the, the closeness is with us. It's within us. It's not necessarily. The other thing, I'm, I'm going to go back for a second, Ruthann, when you were talking about not needing to talk to each other every day. Like, I don't talk to my own children like that either. And I remember once, J.S. said to me, man, Benita, you know, you could call your kids. I don't want them to feel like, you know, because you're spending time with me that you don't want to spend time with them. And I, I was like, I don't think he understands this. It's, it's, it's like there's something within my being. It's like within my spirit. I feel like I am still linked to family, especially my children and my parents. I just... I feel like they're already with me, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't have to actually call them. And, and 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 my children are the same way. When they get away from me, like if if Rajay and Moses go to mom and dad's house, they don't call me. They have no desire. And then maybe every now and then they might want to talk to me, but I'll call them and, and then they'll get on the phone for two seconds. All right, mom. And then run back to do whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so. It's, just, it's it's weird because, I, like you said, I've seen other people. Like I've seen some women, when their children leave them, they got to call them like every two seconds or like every five minutes and then yell at them, how come you didn't call me? It's like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> she, she's only been gone a few minutes, you know. But. Eventually they're going to leave the nest. <laughs> But, I wonder. I guess that could be a question for mom too, if she ever experienced um, empty nest syndrome. But oh, then Joy hasn't really given her opportunity. Though. Well, I think she got over it because when uh, I lived in New Mexico, and this is when all of you all were, you know, grown and gone at that point, right? And I was so for the last six years at, or actually four, because I left early. So the last four years, 
in high school, it was really, really busy. And, you know, when you play sports and you're in band and you do all this stuff in New Mexico, everything's so far away. It's like five, six hours, three hours just to go play a basketball game in the back. So it's a really big deal to kind of go and support your child. And so when everybody was asking mom, mom, they were asking our mother, they were like, well, what are you going to do when we're families? You're going to have an empty nest. You're going to be home alone without any kids. And, uh, you know, she's going early. And how do you feel about that? And mom, all, she was just excited. She was like, look, I am okay with Ruthann leaving because <laughs> she's like, I'm going to rest. <laughs> like, I don't want to go to any basketball games. <laughs> you know, and mom, bless her heart, like, well, it's Mike and Deshaun now, you know, she she's really on top of it. Like, she's starting to follow professional soccer now. Cause she's, but, but it was painful, I think, for mom. Like, she used to, sometimes I think there was a story where, Dad could probably confirm this, or even mom, but she would get excited, and the wrong team scored the basket, and she was cheering, you know? So, like, mm-hmm. she's come a long way with being able to actually uh, get excited about, oh, I'm going to go and watch my daughter play basketball. So, right. um, yeah. You know what? I think, um, this mom, I know mom, she's listening in on the call. Mom, I want you to unmute it because I want you to um, answer something or say one thing before we. Uh, hang up I, I remember you telling me a story once about the blueprint like she read a book called the blueprint and so i think part of the reason why we have come to be who we are was because of her plan and stage for us and the blueprint that she created for us mom did you walk away from the phone <laughs> she's still on it i she can probably see fell asleep Each other with these stories, but then after a while, 
like like Joy said, we're going to turn around and do something with them, right? Oh, okay. Okay, because I, I was <laughs> – that's what I was uh, – I think for clarifying that because when Amy was saying she didn't want it to be talk showy, I'm like, well, if people are calling in, how do you not have it be talk showy? But, okay. No, maybe Benita said Benita said it was just us that not other people was calling in. I'm not doing this if people are calling in. No, uh uh-uh. uh. No, I don't I don't want to do the call in. But you know, it it will end up turning into a recording that you can take and do something with if you want to. Like if you wanted to say, Hey, show it to one of your friends or something like that, this is my sister's because it is gonna be recorded. And I'll send y'all a link and you can do with it what you want, so so it's not a hundred percent private, you know. I found my way. No, home. I don't mind it being private. Um, like I don't mind it being I think- not private. <laughs> I just really think that um, the value in this is us sharing. You know, like you guys were just doing stories about us. I don't think that it has to have this bigger, um, you know, meaning. I think that the important thing is to. Um, you know, like I said at the very beginning, uh, say our stories and remember our history and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know that we really have, I mean, I hear what you guys are saying, that we have a unique story, but I don't think that we have anything to offer in that sense. Come on, if Kardashians have something to offer, we certainly got something to offer. Way I don't believe that the Kardashians have anything to offer. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still making a show, and they're still getting paid. So we could write a book about ourselves. But that's what I'm saying. I'm not interested in us get, making a show or getting paid. I'm interested in sharing history with the rest of us. You know, you all. Right, but um, I also... I'm not interested in the drama of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just think I'm being interested in the drama, but I really would, you know, as a journalist. I really think. But I'm not a great. journalist, Joy. You are. And if you want to do <laughs> this for journalism, that's fine, but you don't need to include me. You didn't let me finish. I don't I need didn't... to let you finish. I know you. What was I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> you're just like Mike and Deshaun, so you think you know what I'm going to say. So, Amy, what was I going to say? Joy, you want this to be similar to how you would do something. And so no, then you do that, it with other people. I, you don't need to do it with me. That's not what I'm talking about. I said I think that it is important when we have a history to record it. So this is going to be maybe audio recorded. But I think it would be good to write it down. I think it would be good to make a book just like Mozetta did. So even if it's just a book that we share within ourselves. But I look at like mom and dad and them getting older and them getting ready to be gone and not being able to hear their voice when they're not here anymore or not having their voice recorded when they were in their 30s or 40s or 50s or um not being able to hear them after they're gone <clears throat> and having an oral history or a written history of their lives. Mom? But no, that's what I had already said, is that I think that it needs to be about our history, 
and I have no interest in it being this talk show type thing. But I think that what Benita was saying is that we'll just call in and have these conversations and that it will be recorded, but I have an idea of hope that maybe it wouldn't just be a, a vocal, but maybe we would put something in writing too as a book or, um, you know, what do they call it, a manuscript. Or I don't a, think, I don't think a, uh, Amy has a problem with that. You know, if we no. turn it into a book, you know, I think I think she was just saying, and and maybe she was getting the feeling of the talk showiness because I was uh, facilitating the call. But no, it's when oh. you said, "What should we talk about?" and then it started the. Well, I think people can learn from us if we talk about this and talk oh. about that, and that's ridiculous. I had a journalism professor in college, and she said, when I was thinking, when I became a McNair scholar, and I was thinking about <clears throat> what I was going to do for my research, and she said, you should do an oral, oral history. Do an oral, oral, no. She was trying to say oral, O-R-A-L, do an oral <laughs> history of your, of your family. Wouldn't that be nice? Sit down and talk to your parents and da 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 you know, so this was back in 2001, 2002, when Ruthann was going to Europe by herself. Um, and at the time, I just like, huh, so nobody wants to hear about my family. Like, that's not what I'm going to write about for my research paper. And I just never, you know, I never did it. But the longer, the more I age, the more I think it's really nice to have that, to have it to have it, to do it, do an oral history. And I think this could be the the beginnings of the makings are part of that, and it may turn into something in print. Mm-hmm. But all, especially, especially with mom, because she is so, her family's so diverse, especially being, you know, a foster child. Mom still talks about people, and I'm like, huh, who is that? Oh, she was my my mama on over down the street next to so and so. I I don't know. I think it's really important, and I and I think as far as us saying we don't have anything really to contribute, I think the fact that our our parents married the way that they did in the '60s, when it was very uncommon to have interracial relationships, mixing it was owned by your parents. Uh, actually, statistically, it was more common to have an interracial relationship in the 60s than it was now. How do you mean? Because we don't see a lot of white men marrying black women. You don't That's really exactly what she said. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think what what I'm hearing Amy say is that there was more interracial marriages, whether it was white men, black women, or black women, white men, whatever it was. It was more common back then than it is now is what I'm hearing her say. Well, I think that it's more of interest, not that they got married necessarily in the 60s as an interracial couple, but when you still keep your marriage and you keep your relationship, when both sides really kind of disown their children. Yeah, I mean, Grandpa said dad's side of the family was like, and I didn't really get this, and Ruth Ann will get it, but I didn't get that from dad until we were at the table having a conversation over the summertime, and Ben was there, and he was sharing his story and his feelings about 
the acceptance that he felt he never really got from his father. And then how having to choose between his wife and his family was tough. And I, I never, you know, I've heard that story over and over and over and over again. But to hear my father, like, in his 70s, like, that was the first time that I really heard from him that he felt that he never was enough for his dad and how hard it was for him growing up and even in adult life because he felt rejected from his father. Maybe I shouldn't use the word rejected, but he just never felt like he well, was I mean, good How enough. else would you describe if I catch you? Not only on the porch or in the yard, if I catch you at the apron, you know, a mile out from the house, if I catch you even coming across over that part of the threshold, I will shoot you. I'm pretty sure that that can be perceived as rejection. No, Benita, I understand that. I understood the rejection that Dad felt he that he felt once he decided that he was going to marry a black woman, and his family said, "Don't you ever come back here again?" And they were serious about it. Yeah, he said he was shooting. I got that. What I didn't know, and what I didn't really understand, and what I I didn't feel the emotion from my father, and what he was saying is it wasn't just that he married a black woman. He was saying growing up as a kid, he never felt like he was good enough for his dad, even before he met Helen. He never thought that he was enough and that he felt like his father never praised him or encouraged him, and he felt like he always had to do what his dad wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. And that he never felt encouraged, appreciated, applauded, accepted, valued by his dad. And and so I I hear and I understood that he said, you know, when I turned 27, I decided to marry this black woman. And my family said, don't you dare come back here or I'm going to shoot you, right? Mm -hmm. I heard that. I got that story. But then I, I thought about, wow, you really decided at a time like this to still go forward and make that decision and be with this woman. But I also got the story of the reconciliation that happened within the family when Grandma Mosetta came back after Fred died, not Fred died, but after Grandpa Ben died. Our our, our Grandpa Ben died. Well, for, fortunately, and, the reconciliation came before um, Grandpa Ben did die. So right, dad, and that's dad and in the Grandpa whole were able because to... I was I was a baby or seven or eight months, right? So later on, that that was repaired, and that, you know, that was fixed, and so there was some kind of acceptance. But to hear that, and I don't know, maybe Ruth Ann can kind of share too, but I was like, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Because Dad and Mom, you know, both of them, have been really, really, really supportive. Like, I always, I always felt as a child, number one, that I was supported and loved by my parents, that they were great cheerleaders, and they applauded me, and they were there for me, Right. And I also felt like my life is my life to do whatever I want. I mean, of course, within some boundaries and scopes, they had those, you know, limitations for us growing up. But if I wanted to be a doctor, I could be a doctor. If I want to go be a shoe salesman, I could be a shoe salesman. You know, they did not intervene and try and dictate to us what we should do. Mm-hmm. And I think Dad's father did. So for a long time, this is what Dad said. Dad said, I did what my father thought I should do and not what I wanted to do. I felt like I had to do what he wanted to please him, and that carried very far into my adult life, late 20s, 30s. 
So when dad is out there being the reason attacked, why our parents didn't really give us advice. They constantly would be like, well, you know. To the extreme. To the extreme. Well, we're, we're, I think they should have been giving some advice. I mean, mm-hmm. you and I have talked about this sometimes. So mm-hmm. when it comes down mm-hmm. to I'm going to marry a man in jail, mom and daddy say, no, Bonita, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> Maybe you should wait till he get out. You know, no words of caution, no concern. And the words of caution and concern coming away were like, just say what you want to say. Like she, she's never really, even even today when Helen wants to tell you something, it becomes more of a question and another question and another question. And I'm like, well, what, 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 what are you trying to say? I, I don't get it. And uh, <clears throat> I just don't. And, you know, when I was pregnant at 18, I was like, I don't know what the heck to do. What should I do? They're like, well, you got to figure that out. That's your decision, you know. And a lot of parents in that situation would say, well, you're pregnant, now you got to get out. Now you got to get out, right? Or if you have that baby, I'm going to, you know, whatever. You know, or, you know, or you need to have an abortion. They just, they didn't. And even though mom wanted to tell me, do not have an abortion, do not abort your babies, she never, ever, ever, ever said that. She said, well, you need to think about it and you need to make some decisions. And she didn't, until until maybe like two weeks ago, a month ago, a year, you know, a few months ago, we were talking about the success and the progress of Micah and Deshaun in our life, et cetera. And she said, oh, I'm so glad that you didn't abort them. I'm so glad that you decided to keep those boys. And I was like, why didn't you ever say that back then? Children at this age, even when I'm looking at my twin sons at 17, they need some wise words of counsel. Even though they're mature, they need, they need it. We needed it. It would have been really nice, even, even for my life right now where I am in these seven years, it would be really nice maybe if Dad would have said maybe five years ago, Joy, you really need to find a job and you need to get out, you know, or you need to do this, or, or let me help you find this, or let me, you know, just helping really make some of those decisions or saying, you know, if you, you, know, if you become a journalist, you really aren't going to have any money. Did you think yeah, about that? And then, you know, but maybe our parents didn't do that for us because they just let, knew that we were going to do it for each other. Because, like, for instance, where mom and dad don't, Benita does or Amy does or Ruthann does for you, Joy, right? Like, I know I think, Amy has told you on multiple occasions, get up and get a job. <laughs> she ain't never listened. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I think, hey, I, Amy, Amy's even threatened to take your Whitfield away. <laughs> You've been threatened like I haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> They've done that, though, and I think, I guess what I was just really trying to say is that I think that dad maybe, and mom and dad maybe like that because their parents didn't make some decisions for them. And dad said something else to me. He said. Or they made too many decisions so, for them, like they weren't allowed so, to. This summer, this summer, dad said something. He said, this, this is what he said. He said, I don't feel that it's my job to do that. Are you guys still there? Because I got a beat beat. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. My father yeah. said, I don't feel, and this, this is, this is, this is very point to point. This is really sharp for a man, a father, to say this. He said, I don't think that it is my job to move you out. You are grown. You will get to where you need to get to when you get there. He said, as a father, 
I don't think it's my job to run around and storm around this house and be the macho man or be the alpha male. He said, I feel that it is my job to basically be a loving father and to make every one of my children feel like they are comfortable and welcome in my home whenever, wherever, regardless of what age or stage you are in your life. And that if you need to be here, you'll be here. And when you want to be gone, you will be gone. So he doesn't feel that it's his position to coach that way. Now, if you go to him and say, hey, I need some, you know, I need some advice, I need some counsel, I want to think about this, Dad and I have definitely had conversations like that. Hey, but what do you, what do you want to do? What do you, you know? But I, I just, I don't know. I, other people's families that I know of, you know, their friends, they, they counsel their children, and our parents do not. And even, even when, you know, the sex thing, I think that's something that we should talk about. You know, in our conversations, maybe in the, in the future. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me wipe that down. never sex, and not just sex, but sexuality, um, or marriage, or I mean, I I still really feel at this age that I'm traumatized by don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. I almost felt like growing up, I was taught that it was an evil thing, or that it was something that we just shouldn't do. And right. even they said, don't do it until you're married. I, I didn't really hear don't do it until you're married because when you're telling me don't do it until you're married, I'm not married. So I'm just hearing don't have sex. Don't have sex. Right? <laughs> ever, ever, ever in life, right? Or like the other day on the call when I said, when I said, when the girl said, I've been celibate for 12 years. And I said, mm, not me. <laughs> And then, and then later on, like a few days later, a week later, I had a good conversation with mom, and then she said, "Panita, you said on the radio that you have sex. <laughs> it is still a taboo thing. I am 41, right? So, absolutely. I guess what I'm saying is still because of that, I think there's something inside of me that still has uh, um it still has a, a struggle, like a, a, a physical and a spiritual and a struggle with really being able to enjoy. I don't know if I should really say being able to enjoy that, but just um, I guess feeling like it's okay that you don't really feel, you know, dirty or. Like you feel like lucky. you need to be protected. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe let's say before I'll think about it, and maybe when it comes up, then I'll know what to say. But I just, you know, I was the other. I was just thinking a while ago, the other day, or something that I just, mom, and this, and this is what came to me that, and as as an adult, mom has shared a lot more stuff that she never shared with us when she was kids, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. one time, mom, she said to me, "Well, sex is fun. I had fun with it." I didn't want any babies. I was just having fun. I said, fun? Sex is fun? (laughs) I'm scared. I feel like it's evil and that I'm, you know, doing a bad thing or. Yeah, they were some great parents. That's that's the only, I've said that many times. I said that's the one area they was lacking. Sex. You said. How long have you been sitting here? 
Okay, that's all I had to say. Okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Hello? Are we all I'm here. Is everybody else here? Okay, so we got Joy, Amy. Yeah. Ruth Ann. I'm here. I just muted. I don't know. Who's the grown-ass man that came on the phone? It's not like Jay. That was Jay. I was trying to give you a warning. That's Jay. He just pulled up my car. That's your grown-ass man, Benita. No, but he, um, he wasn't on the phone with us, though. He just walked in the... That was somebody else. <laughs> no, I think I unmuted. Okay, Mom, I want you to talk about the um, the blueprint because I think that's really important for the um, – I think the blueprint is really important for the uh, introduction. Wait, wait, Mom, were you sleeping or were you awake? Or was she praying? <laughs> I couldn't wait. <laughs> Mom, I want you to talk about the blueprint. Oh, okay. The only thing I can say about it is um, it was a book that Carolyn gave me when Joy was a baby. They had a baby shower for me. And the book is called Blueprint for Raising a Child. And I think the author was um, Michael Phillips. And he likened raising a child to be um, safe, happy, successful, satisfied. Um, Look at it like you're raising a house. And you start with the foundation first, and then you put in the walls, and then you put in the, the details after that, and you do the roof. And so he he named certain characters that you know you want your children to have in order to to be successful. And some of the things that I remember was respect and manners and faith and to be loving and kind, kind, learn how to share, be patient. Just a lot of a lot of the character development that everybody wants to have for a child, but he, he, his thought was to actually look at it in the sense that you are raising this 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 child, and if you do it, if you put as much thought into it as people do when they are building a house, then you, you're more likely to be successful. You know, begin to picture what it is that you want to um, see in your children or what how you want your children to survive and thrive. So that's what I did. I put those, I had them on the refrigerator, I think, for maybe 20 years. I probably just took them down when we moved here. But that was it. It's a very good book if you want to read it. I think I gave you my book, didn't I, Benita? I, um... After I had that conversation with you not too long ago, I went online and I bought several copies. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. And I, I, I've been reading <laughs> it for my copies. own children, but I have Ruth and I have more than one copy. So if you want, you can get one for three. You know, you and Greg to read it if you want. Um, 
And uh, but I, 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 the the thing is, when you said that to me, then we were also talking about how you had put us in all these different activities, and so you could look at the activities and you could say, well, I I know I can't possibly teach my children everything. Like they, I could teach it to them, but they're not going to accept it all from me. So there's this particular organization is going to help um, push forth my agenda as much as uh, I can myself. So, for instance, it was part of the reason why you signed us up for 4-H or Girl Scouts or, you know, because they were pushing the same agenda that you wanted to. another book, Mm. book called The Blessing, that was Uh written by a doctor and a psychologist. And he was saying, if you look in the Old Testament at Abraham, and Abraham gave his blessing to his son, and his son gave the blessing to that son. And so it was like a tradition that got carried on. And and the blessing was to look at what it is that you want your children to have. And his mother, he gave the example of his mother knew that he wanted to be a doctor, but they really couldn't afford it or anything like that. So what he did was, what his mother did was she went to some resale shop and got all of these medical books and just put them up on the shelf. And he wound up just really reading through them. And and so that's what I meant, that if you see something that your child is interested in, then you make certain, if at all possible, that your child can get into that. Which is one reason I always said to you all that, you know, you had the best of uh, two worlds when you grew up in small towns because you got uh, involved in far many more things than you probably would have in the city since we didn't have a whole lot of money and small towns offered a lot of those things for a small amount of money or free. All right. Cool. I think we've got a good introduction. Mm-hmm. Where, Amy, you didn't talk very much. You want to say anything? No, I'm good. Thank you. Let me see where we are on this call. How many hours have we been on it? Hey, um, Benita, Amy, and Ruthann, and Mom, you know, one thing I think that will be really nice about this call, and I think Amy kind of touched on it too, is I think it's good bonding for us. In very different, you know, places, but just to continue to to grow and grow in sisterhood and get to know each other more. And I mean, we know each other, but still, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, really, really spending time together. Mm. And talking and sharing with one another. Yep. All right, so we're going to be doing this once a week. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, 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 wait. Once a month? I thought that was what you all had said earlier, and even then. <laughs> <laughs> two hours a month? Are you serious? No, no two hours a week is too much. I'm with Ruth Ann. I, I think that's Right, thank too- you. Thank you. Okay, okay, okay. So y'all don't want to do this weekly? <laughs> that seems to be the consensus. Consensus. <laughs> Okay, so what what are we talking? Once a month, Ruthann? Is that what it is? That people could commit I to? think once a month is a little more doable. 
Okay. Which I love you all, but not that much. <laughs> I I just want something to be cons- something consistent, something that I can something consistent, something that I can uh, you know, like mark in my calendar. So like for instance just every first Saturday or yeah. uh, what'd you say, Ruth Joy? I was just thinking on the same lines that you are, like maybe one the first Saturday of every mm-hmm. month or Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so today's the the 14th. I don't care if it's the first. I just think it should be the same. Like, it's always the second. So we can plan for it, the second Saturday, the first Saturday. Yeah, we started the second Saturday, So, but in December, the second Saturday is going to be the 12th. Is that okay with everybody? Saturdays aren't really very good for me. I mean, you can schedule it for that, but... Which day would you rather, Because you're probably the most busy out of all of us. What day is better for um, you, baby? Tuesday nights I teach, and Friday and Saturdays and Sundays I'm usually out. So, so are you saying what about Monday? Monday, night? Monday, okay, yeah. We do Monday. Is this a good time? Nine o'clock. Is nine o'clock good? Or uh, what yeah, time did you? What time, Benita? Nine, nine o'clock, nine o'clock. Nine yeah. o'clock time on what day? Nine o'clock central, which would be 10 o'clock Eastern on Monday. Okay, on Monday through Friday, on Sunday through Friday, I got a job. Like, y'all wanted me to have a job. <laughs> so I got a job, y'all. And that job requires me to be at work until 11 o'clock, Sunday through Friday. That's six days a week. Mm-hmm. So... I'm sorry, but I will not be able to convene with you at that time. But if you guys want to start at that time, I'll come in, you know, 30 minutes late or an hour late. You know, I don't have to be on the call the whole time. So if that time is more convenient and doable with everybody else, I'll just pop in a little bit later. Or sometimes, you know, I never know what my day is going to be like because it's like working in the newsroom. So there may be times I could just listen in, but I wouldn't be able to talk. Um, we could also start at ten central, which would be eleven Eastern, if that's not too late for people. You said ten what? Ten central. Ten central is not too late. I I I mean I also kind of uh, agree. I guess with later is better for me, just because you know I'm not trying to be on a two hour conversation when. You know, I want to put my son to bed and play with him because, you know, I'm away from him all day and away from my family. So I feel like, and then, you know, if I have exams and stuff the next day, I'm not going to want to be on the phone for two hours either. So, moving, you know, keeping it on a weekend, I know Amy's saying it's not the best day, so maybe we don't have to have it. What about Amy? On what if Saturday we instead of, every time? Yeah, what if Monday, we did a Saturday Tuesday, afternoon Wednesday. or a Saturday morning? Would that what? be better? Sunday afternoon. I'm off every. I'm always off every Saturday. I'm off, and I'm also off every other Sunday. So it could be like Mama's Big Mama Sunday dinner. And maybe we don't have to talk for two hours. Maybe we can shorten it to an hour. Oh yeah, absolutely, definitely we can shorten it. I think if we're more focused and we know exactly the topic we're talking about, we could we could streamline it for sure. Amy. Yeah. Okay. So what about Sunday <laughs> afternoon? Or Saturday afternoon, because you you out 
those at nighttime, right? Yeah, Sunday or Saturday mornings are fine. That's not a problem. Um, I'll go to the gym later or something. Uh, what about a weekday? Is a weekday too tough? Well, Monday, you already said you're at work. We had said Monday, and then you said you were at work. Wait, wait, wait. You want to do it later? No, I'm just saying, why Why can't we uh, fluctuate it, you know? Like, because oh. if Amy wants to go out, then maybe we shouldn't always have it. Because what if she wants to go out every night, every weekend of, you know, every night of the weekend, then, you know, maybe we have it on one month, we have it on a Saturday, on another month, we have it on Monday. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe we can have a rotating thing. Like, it doesn't not, like, when you do your show, you know, you changed it to Sunday night so that mom could be a part of it or whatever you did. I don't know. It seems no, like I'm tr- I want my show to be consistent. My my other my other show, I really want some consistency there. So I want people to come to depend on it. Like if they sit around, they're like, "Oh, it's Sunday at eight o'clock. That's right. But need to be doing her show." That's that's what I was looking for. Something consistent. Yeah. So I mean, because well, because it's like something that you plan around. So for instance, when um. When you know when Amy's organizing stuff with her friends, you know they'll be like, "Okay, well, k- come on, Amy, come kick it with us at three o'clock." You know her friends will after a while get to know. Oh no, every first Sun, every first Saturday, Amy be doing this on three o'clock. I mean, they may not get that, but yeah, they don't well. remember my schedule. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, well, you say, I but say it'd be easier for you to let people know. You say, "Oh, I can't do it then. I'm doing this." Yeah, well, I'm just saying that. I, Joy was saying what was Ruthanne saying about what was my preference. I was saying later just because my family's the priority right. during the day. So I want to be with husband and child. If it's during the daytime and I'm available and they're available, you know, if I'm not, if I don't actually have to be at school or in the clinic or in the hospital, you know, like I want to actually be with my family, spending having that bonding time and that like. You know it's really important, and you guys, you guys already understand that. But Nina definitely understands it. You know, Joy has kids; she understands that. So, and Amy, I know, she understands it. So, I'm just, I'm just putting that out there and being honest that, you know, I can't guarantee if we're doing it during the day. I can't guarantee that I, even if I, even if I say, okay, yeah, I'll be able to do it. I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to get to the phone. You know what I mean? Okay. Look, what about this? All right. I'll- Ruthann just said, and I think that we should just kind of pick a day that maybe works with everybody and just kind of understand that there may be some times that not all four of us might be able to get on the call. Like if I'm working and I can't pick up the phone and I'm really busy, then I I won't, you know, I won't call in. Or I'll call in and I'll listen, but I won't engage, I won't talk. Like, but either you remember... On Moses' show, I was like, I'm listening, and then Moses was asking me a question. I was like, oh, shoot. I'm sorry, I spoke up for him, but I can always call in and listen. Well, that's the other thing, too, because it's recorded. I think Joy's making a good point, and that because it's recorded, you know, with every, it fits everybody's goals. Like, you get the bonding, but you also get it's going in the history books. I guess it really depends on do you want these to be, do you want this to be a full four-girl thing each time? That's really the question. Because yeah. if it is, then. I, so I don't want to exclude anybody. I would like for all four people to be there. I'm just thinking if we set a time, I think we should decide on a time that's really the best for everybody. But then just be lenient and understanding of um, 
it's a day that Ruth and has got a lot of stuff that she has to do and she can't call in. We just understand that. Okay, we know you have a, a young baby and a family and you're in school and you're doing other things and you might not be able to be on the call. And that's okay. But maybe the next time she will. Or if Amy wants to go out and go dancing that night and she can't be on the call, then... Joy, I'm not 19. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Amy, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to be dancing until I'm 70 years old, so I don't think it's bad to go dancing. <laughs> I think you can be 40 fucking two and go dancing and have a good time. Wait, who's 42? I'm just saying. You guys got these numbers and values. Oh, you can't go out dancing at a certain time. I think, you know, I think people should go dancing. I'm saying I wouldn't skip out on hanging out with my sisters and talking about someone to go out dancing. Oh, well, Ruth Ann said that you wanted to go out sometimes, so I wasn't saying that. Like, if you have a function or an engagement or you want to go do something with your friends, I think it's okay. Well, that's all. And, you know, I wasn't trying to make make light of you. I guess I was being really serious that realistically everybody has shit to do, right? I mean, like coming up Saturday for the next three or four months, all day Saturday I'm going to be at a soccer tournament. And and Saturday is my only day off. So from like 6 a.m. Joy, you cut off. Hello? Hello. Joy. Joy, we're missing you. Are you there? Mom? Yes. Yes. What uh, happened to Joy? She was talking. She stopped mid-sentence. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay, while we have a break, I'm um, that book that I was telling you about, The Blessing, is by John Trent and Gary Smalley. It's called The Blessing, Giving the Gift of Unconditional Love and Acceptance. And sometimes the four four of you might want to do a show where you can find examples of where you saw that in your own lives or even you saw it in your friends' lives because you said that there are five essential elements to this book, and he names them on here, and it says where you you have to make sure there's meaningful touch, and then a spoken message is the second one. The third one is attaching high value. The next one is picturing a special future, and the last one is an active commitment. Now, if each one of you would read that book and then talk about how you feel like you either had that or missed out on that, that might give you some ideas about um, whether or not you've been given that gift of unconditional love and acceptance that the author is talking about. Okay, Um, I need to go. Is that okay? Are you finished with me? (laughs) Bye, Mom. (laughs) Are you finished with me? <laughs> <laughs> I got church tomorrow. 
It's a big congregational meeting. Okay, I love you all. It'd be funny if we could actually get Dan on here at some point. (laughs) Uh, He's in there. No, I'm just saying on one of these, you know, opportunities. I know this is a four girls thing, but I guess Joy was talking about being able to have certain recordings of mom and dad. Or not, she wasn't talking about mom and dad. She was talking about, uh, you know, having recorded history for either our children when we, uh, when they get older or when, or to have memories of mom and dad oral history too. Well, yeah, that's why I keep all my photo albums. I want you to have history. I think that's important. Okay, I'm out of here. I see you all alone. I love you. God bless. You want Papa to say hello? Hello. (laughs) Hi, Dad. Yeah, hi. (laughs) Bye-bye. You sign a computer. I'll, you know, I'll put a plug in for Dad. He's been wanting somebody to come down and help him rake leaves. Oh yeah, he's that. He's that. Okay. Said, uh, I'll you all okay. Later on. All right. I'm I'm hanging up. Bye. Bye. I love you. I love you. Can't hear sounds just like that. What? Oh, I had said. Oh, I was just saying I love you to Mom when she was hanging up. But I think um, it is probably time to say, everybody say goodbye to each other. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, Joy, she's um, sitting next to me now. Her phones are working and she's able to hear. I don't think we can hear her because the uh, way to speak I might just put it on speakerphone. Well, but, does Joy want to finish? She cut off mid-joy. Uh, Ruth has given you an opportunity to finish what you had to say. Or you ha- you feel comfortable? Ruthann is saying that you got. Oh, you can hear what she said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you hear me? Huh? No, 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 no. But I don't know if you. Oh, I, I'm okay. I was just saying that I wanted to. I wanted to let Amy know that I. Uh, I wasn't trying to minimize. Why is it playing back in my ear like that? <laughs> it's delayed. What's up with that? Hey, did you hear this from, like, live? I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> I, I love you all. I'm that. He said, I have nothing else to say. I love you well, all. Well, I, like, I, I have a question. I, don't, I feel like everybody knew about this. Uh, well, not everybody knew, but, Joy, what are you doing? I think Dad had shared that you had this uh, newsroom something, and then you said newsroom. I just don't know anything about it. What are you doing? Uh, she, you know, it's this weird type of thing for her to hear what you're saying, Ruthann. It's like it's just a delayed instead of listening to it on the phone. So it's like a delayed response. But we're really getting but, close to the end of the call. So you, what's your question, Ruthann? Well, I just want to know more about Joy's job. I just didn't know oh, anything about it. Oh, like, what do you know more about your job. She's the uh, editor for a newspaper. Do you like it? Where is it at? She's a copy editor for a newspaper, and she uh, can't tell you more about it. I do. I like it. Oh, it's recorded. She'll write you a letter. She'll write you a email. Oh, okay. Inbox me. Only because the call is going to disconnect. Otherwise, 
if we had some more time, then I would talk. We might them. have more time, but you know, I, I had set it up for two hours, so it's been two hours. It's an hour and forty nine minutes. Oh, I came on an hour and forty nine minutes. Cause Brita, you didn't tell me there was a pin. I think you know one. The pin is just one in pound. Yeah. I think these calls might help me control my volume too, cause I know what I was talking. Yeah. About. Well, you go back when I. I'm gonna. Yeah, you do. You sound like a beast. So when you play it back, you're gonna say, "Ooh, you're gonna start critiquing yourself." Yeah, then you're going to get more like me, all cool, calm, and collected. Oh, Lord. <laughs> 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 oh, Lord, we're going to have two bonitas. Like, like, we really need them and two bonitas in the world. That's a beautiful picture of you right there. Oh, thank you. Okay, y'all, so is it okay for me to press end on the call now? Yeah. Bye, Amy. Yeah, Amy's yeah. still here. Okay, bye, Amy. Bye, bye Benita. Bye, Joy. Bye, okay. Amy. Bye, Ruthann. Bye, Joy. Joy said, next week, I think Amy will okay. talk more because she has I so do. To I don't know why Amy's been so quiet on the phone. Amy, why you been so quiet on the phone? I don't have anything to say. There ain't no reason to talk just to be talking. You know, when I say something good, I sound mean. <laughs> and when I say something nice, it like... Celebratory, it comes out beastly. I like that woman on your show.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.